Turn our attention to God's Word, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, borrow one of ours. It's the black book, which you will find under one of the chairs in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. Years ago, I heard Pastor Mark Dever talking about uh, one of his experiences while he was at school. I believe it was college or seminary. And he said that uh, there was another student that attended the same churches. Uh, the same church that he did, and uh, though Pastor Dever, not a pastor then, just a student, was uh, involved in the ministries of that church and the lives of the people there, this other student would just slip into the service right before the sermon started and would get up and leave as soon as it was done. And and, uh, Dever observed this behavior week after week after week, so finally one time he caught him in the middle of the week uh, and asked him, um, you know, have you ever thought about actually staying for the whole service? Have you thought about staying and talking with people, investing in their lives and getting to know them? The man's response was something along the lines of this, I'm afraid that I would be slowed down in my spiritual progress if I united my life with theirs. Dever replied and said, yeah, you might, but have you ever thought you might actually speed them up? This morning we are bringing to conclusion this series that we have called God's Plan for Gospel Growth about how every disciple is meant to be involved in making other disciples. And this morning what we're really wanting to do is give a final kind of call to action, a call to arms as we encourage uh, all of you to not only have to have listened and heard and understood the various building blocks that we have been putting together before you, but now to embrace it and actually engage with us in the ministry of disciple making specifically as God's people we want to see this morning both in our attendance together here and in our lives during the week we have to be more than just consumers we have to be ministers and servants of the living God because that is what he calls us to be as his people in order to see this this morning I want us to uh, return to a text we've looked at before uh, but I want us to, to hear it again with fresh eyes and to, uh, to then unpack again some of the implications and, the, and the, the practical nuts and bolts of what this text is going to mean for us as your pastors think about the future of ministry of this church. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. I encourage you to follow along as I read. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, excuse me, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the nature of the, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. May he bless its reading today. If we are going to be more than just consumers in the church, then we need to seek to do at least three things that are described for us in this passage. First, we need to display the character of Christ's calling. We need to display the character of Christ's calling. In the opening chapters of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has laid out the gospel itself. He began in chapter 1 showing how God had planned, even from before the foundation of the world, to take his people from being spiritually dead in trespasses and sins to being alive together in Christ. That he was the one who would enable them to be forgiven and made right with himself through his own son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Based on that gospel truth, on the reality that we have been made right with God, he now says, live in light of who you are. Verse 1 says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you are a Christian, then you have been called by the grace of God into the salvation. You have heard that call. You have accepted that call you have believed in the gospel and now paul says live in light of that call you've said you've trusted in christ that you have passed from death to life that you are a new creature in the son of god therefore act like it live that way though we are saved only because of what god has done for us we will now be doing something for god because he has saved us we will be pursuing uh, a different kind of life that he has called us to. In other words, if we really understand the gospel, then our lives will have been changed. Specifically in this context, Paul has been talking in chapter 3 about the people of God that Christ has died for and brought together by the cross. He says he's brought together people from every conceivable uh, ethnic background and made them one new man in Christ. He has put together now from, uh, from Jews and from every kind of Gentile, from barbarian, barbarian, Scythian, Roman, Greek, and he has put them together and said, you're no longer those things. You're a part of the new humanity called Christ. Christian, because you're one body in Christ. Through Israel, God took a kind of come and see approach. Uh, They were to be kind of beckoning people to come and understand who God is. Now it is a go and tell command in the church. Uh, God has, has pulled together from all different kinds of peoples and now has launched us back out into all those people groups and beyond what our people group is to tell people about Jesus Christ and how they can be made right with God. It's the difference between a lighthouse serving as a beacon of hope in the midst of a storm saying come in for safety and a fleet of lifeboats that are being sent out to rescue those that are on the sinking ships. The gospel is meant to permeate all cultures calling idolaters to worship Christ alone as those who worship Christ alone go into those cultures. And despite all the differences that are going to arise... I mean, just think about the differences that are even in this room in terms of age, uh, gender, uh, preferences in music and movies and food. God says we're all one in Christ. Some of us come from backgrounds where by human standards, our sins have been relatively light. God has been merciful to us. Others of us come ashamed of the lives that we have lived. And yet God says you are one in Christ. Those things no longer 
matter to your identity in my son. We are one in Christ. And so Paul says, live in light of that calling to unity. Be eager to maintain that unity. He says, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, why is that so important? Because there's only one people of God. Yes, there's this church here and that church there and churches on the other side of the world. But when we stand before the throne in heaven... We're not going to gather together as Crossway Church anymore. We're not going to gather together as First Baptist Memphis or First Baptist Hanoi or whatever it is over there. Uh, No, we will gather together as the capital C Church, as the body of Christ worshiping together before the throne. Therefore, Therefore, we must be eager to live in light of that reality, not being fractured and pulling apart and emphasizing differences, but rather understanding there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That living in light of that reality is part of living a life worthy of our calling. That has implications for how we think about Christians whom we can't see. People in the past, people who live in other countries. But more than that, it helps us to think about how to live with the Christians that we can see each and every week, each and every day. Those of you that I'm looking at now and those that are sitting next to you in these chairs. What does Paul say? He says, with one another we should display humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? Interestingly enough, he doesn't say holiness. He doesn't say godliness, although you could say those things reflect godliness. He doesn't say uh, maturity in terms of your mind. Now, what does he say? He says humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another love. That says to me relationships. Those things are only reflected in, in how you interact with somebody else. And what is he saying? He's saying living the Christian life means living with other Christians, treating them as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is living out the very character of the one to whom you were called to live in, Christ himself. It is a Christ-like character that we are to be exhibiting to one another, primarily in his selflessness. It is a selflessness when it comes to loving one another, being with one another, serving with one another. That should be evident in our lives. That is how the, the bond of peace, the unity to which we are called, will be made most evident. We won't just be concerned for what is best for me, but as Paul says elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2, we will be more concerned with what is good for them. What is good for them? How can I serve them? How can I be patient with them? How can I show humility to them? How can I bear up with them in love? This is important because we're not only called to display Christ-like character, but we're also called, secondly, to minister. To minister in the grace of Christ's gifts. To minister in the grace of Christ's gifts. Paul says there is one body of Christ, yet God works among and through his people individually as well as corporately. Verse 7. There's one body and one spirit, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things, that he might fill all things. So do we, do we understand the language here? Christ uh, b- before uh, all things is in perfect fellowship with God the Father in heaven. He descends from that position of glory in the incarnation, taking human form, dies for our sins, and then ascends back to the glory that he once shared with the Father in heaven. And Paul draws on this language of gift-giving from Psalm 68, which talks about God's victory over the enemies of Israel. And he says the ultimate victory is won by God through his Son, Jesus Christ. After his descent in the incarnation and his death on the cross, he ascended back in his his resurrected form to the right hand of God the Father, and part of the triumph of God through Christ was the giving of grace gifts to his people. Paul says that though there is one body, there are different gifts. What kind of gifts did he give? He doesn't give an exhaustive list, but he says, Christ gave gifts to his church, namely the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Here is the foundation upon which the church is built and the means by which it is maintained. I know you may not think about it sometimes like that, but in a real sense, if you have a good pastor or team of pastors, they are Christ's gift to you because they are helping to ensure that you are stable, as we will see, in your walk with God and that there is a church that is going to be here oriented along right doctrine with right living, with a right mission, for your children and your children's children and their children's children. God is continually raising up these new men for the benefit of his larger body, the church. In fact, we're told very explicitly this very thing. Why did God give these gifts? Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. These gifts, these men are meant to do two things, equip the saints for ministry and build up the body of Christ. And those two things are intimately connected together. Now, don't get hung up on that word saint. We have all kinds of saints today, don't we? We have St. Augustine and St. Aquinas and uh, St. John and St. Paul. And we put this, uh, this title saint on front of somebody's name. Sometimes even informally, right? We say, oh, that person, she is such a saint, right? What do we mean? We mean they go above and beyond what is normally done uh, in life, right? Sometimes it's religious. Sometimes it's just, you know, your patient old grandma or whatever it is. But we call them a saint. And, and, the, and the thing is, we have in our minds then this kind of two-tier Christianity. There, is, there are the saints, then there are the rest of us, right? Uh, the normals or whatever we say, okay? Uh, the, the average, you know, Christians. Uh, well, the reality is the New Testament doesn't speak that way. And uh, in, in the, the, the New Testament word for Christian, one of them is saint. So, so Paul can even write to the Corinthians. The Corinthians. Read what, what's going on, the crazy stuff that's going on in that church. And what does he say? Saints of God. It's simply a way of saying you have been called out from the rest of the world and set apart for God and his glory. Therefore, you are one of his Saints. The Bible has no category for an exalted believer who achieves sainthood. If you are a Christian, then you are a saint. If you have looked to Christ in faith, believing he is your Savior who died for you, taking your place under God's wrath so that you can be made, for, you can be made right with God, having your sins forgiven, then you are a saint, according to the New Testament. And notice what saints do. 
they do the work of ministry. Now, there is a connection here, again, between the work of the leaders of the church and the people of the church. The church leaders, the, the gifts of God to his church, at least some of them, are meant to train up everyone else in order that they might do ministry alongside them. In this way, all of us have the same goal, then, of building up the body of Christ. We don't, just, we, don't just build, we don't just build one another up, but we build one another out for the purpose of doing ministry so that both numerically and spiritually the church continues to build. Does that make sense? So, in other words, we might play different positions. Some of us might be the quarterback. Some of us might be the fullback. Some of us might be a tackle or a guard. But at the end of the day, we are on the same team with one goal. Win, 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 right? And if we're not Michigan, we might win. No, I'm sorry. That was a cheap shot. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't throw the Bible, really. No. But the, 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 the point is we're all on. We're meant to be on the same team. We have, different, we have different abilities, different skills, different positions we play. But guess what? We all train together at the same stadium. We use the same locker room. On and on and on. We are on one team. And Paul says, though different gifts are used differently, we're all, we're all to be trained for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ, the church, is built up. Now, what does that ministry look like? What is, what is the one thing that all of us are meant to be doing? This is the, this is the third thing that we see from the, the text. If we're going to be more than consumers, then we will be concerned to speak the truth for Christ's people. We will be concerned to speak the truth for Christ's people. We just saw that God's plan is for leaders to train God's people for ministry, building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says God is growing us. God is maturing us. He is building us up into the image of Christ himself. Think about watching your kids grow up and wondering how tall are they going to be. What hair color are they going to have? Uh, in, in a couple of years when their eye color finally sets into to what it's going to be for the long term, what is it going to be? It could be weirder like me and have three different colors in your eyes. Um, one blue, one green, and I've got a brown fleck that continues to grow. So one day I think we're going to have to have colored contacts or something like some weird cat up here with two different color eyes. I don't know. But you're wondering, what you, there's no question about what you're going to look like if you're a Christian. God is growing you up into the image of his own son, Jesus Christ. That is the image to which you're being conformed. That doesn't mean long hair and a beard. It means godliness. It means Christ-like character. This is what he is conforming us to be. Not just individually, but also corporately as a local body of Christians. The church together, how it relates to one another, how it serves hand-in-hand with one another, will look Christ-like in its endeavors. Have you ever thought of that before? We're we're very quick to, to move right to the immediate. What does that mean for me? But the New Testament has another layer there that says, what does it mean for the body? Then, what does it mean for me? So, so... Just try to imagine what, what, what does it look like for us in terms of how we relate to one another, how we talk to one another, how we spend time with one another, how we serve together with one another. Does it reflect Christ-like character or doesn't it? That's what God is seeking to shape us into, not just individually, but also collectively. And how is this growth going to take place? What does he say? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ. Now understand what Paul is not saying. He is not saying speak the truth in love, meaning sometimes you have to tell the, per- the person the truth. Perhaps it's sin, perhaps it's a bad decision. But you do it with love to make the blow softer. You don't just kind of like get in their face and, and chew them out. No, that's, you should do that. That's good advice. That's not what Paul's talking about, though. What he means is this. We are to speak the truth of God's word. We are to speak theologically about God and about Christ and about who we are as humanity as an act of love for the encouragement of one another. It is the actual speaking of biblical truth that is a loving act towards one another. Why? Because it corrects us and encourages us and conforms us into the image of Christ. C.S. Lewis once remarked that Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. He said, men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. You might say that when two Christians are following Christ together, there is not twice as much Christianity as when they are apart, but 16 times as much. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. So what is the point? The point is we are to be seeking our own maturity so that we can in turn help others in their maturity. We are to be seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ in our own life so that we can in turn help others be conformed to the image of Christ in their life. We are to be speaking the truth as a loving act because we love one another as the people of Christ. It goes back to the idea of how do we maintain unity? How do we maintain the bond of peace? How do we grow together and maintain a spirit of oneness without obliterating all of the past, obliterating all of our preferences? It's by speaking the truth as an act of love, by loving one another enough to say again and again and again, this is God, this is what he's done for us, and this is why we so desperately need him. Paul says the way, we, the way we mature, the way we experience growth and are conformed to the image of Christ is by the continual correction and encouragement that we get from other Christians as we are reminded of the truth of God's word. This happens especially as we hear again and again and again the gospel itself as our gaze is drawn up to our Savior. Paul says, as we grow together by the word of God, we will be equipped to help one another mature and reach the loss of the gospel because we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When I think about that picture, I cannot think, help but think of a bouncy house because I don't know any parent who just throws their kids out in the ocean and lets them bob up and down. I've, I've not seen that. I've not done that. That makes me scared. But a bouncy house I have seen and experienced, both for myself and with my kids. You throw them in, and, and it's just all air. And so one person jumps, and the other person flies up and down in the air. And it's just this cacophony of bouncing. And, and, ever, ever. and of course, they're having fun, but the imagery here is it's not fun. Some, some latest book that's just fluff, and actually bad theology. Oh, this is so great. Have you read this book? Have you read this book? And the next month, have, have, you, have you heard what this guy said about this? And have you done this? And, and you're just bouncing all over the place. And you have no moorings. You have no foundation. You have no stability in terms of what you think about God and Christ 
and yourself in relationship to him. Paul says that is a sign of immaturity. That is no good. Can't do that. How do we prevent that from happening? By speaking to one another the truth of God's word as a loving act of maturation in the lives of one another. All of us have a part to play in that process. Not everyone is a teacher or a prophet or an apostle or a shepherd. Nevertheless, we may all bring encouragement and edification to one another according to the differing gifts that we have. Because all of us are pursuing the same goal, which is to edify the congregation in love. And that edification takes place when we open our mouths and speak God's word to one another, trusting God's spirit to apply it to our hearts. Simply by virtue of being a disciple of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit of the new covenant, all Christians have the privilege, joy, and responsibility of being involved in the work that, work, the work that God himself is doing in this world by his word. And the fundamental way to do that is by speaking the truth of God and depending on God's spirit to change hearts. So if those three things are true, if we are to be seeking those three things, what does that look like practically for us as a church? Well, you've heard all these talks, most of you. If not, they'll be online someday, and you can go back and listen to them. It's not like we've done something amazingly different. It's not like it's so astonishingly, uh, astonishingly strange that you're just thinking, how is this even going to work? No, we've just taken the basic building blocks that we've had already existing in ministry and form them into something new and coherent and simple that we hope you will be able to see all of us are meant to be a part of. And yet, the biggest thing that needs to happen is a shift in our thinking about ministry. Especially today as you're being challenged to take these things that you've been hearing and now to put them into practice. It means if that's going to happen, you need to expect at least three things from this church as we move forward together as ministers of the gospel. First, you need to expect to be filled with the word and expect to help fill others. You need to expect to be filled with the word of God and expect to help fill others. You should expect that whenever we get together, the Bible is going to be front and center driving our time. Regardless of, of what that is, the Bible is going to be setting the agenda for us. Now, I know it's very easy for that kind of talk to come under criticism today. In fact, one of my favorite Christian bands uh, in recent years has uh, recently wrote a song driven in part by the belief that Christians worship a book more than God. Now, at one level, I find that incredibly ironic because when I look at churches in my own life, I think we spend far less time in the Word that we should. So I find it very ironic someone say, well, we worship a book. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Nevertheless, let me state just for the record, okay, if you're listening, Mr. Gunger, we don't worship a book. We don't worship a book. But the God we worship has written a book. It is a love letter, 66 beautiful letters to us to tell us who he is and what he has done for us. How can we, not close, how can we close it up and sit on a shelf and never open it? No, we worship God by focusing on the book. It is the primary means of fellowship as we call out to him in our need and he responds to us through the living and active word that strikes to our very souls and changes us from the inside out. Furthermore, with this emphasis on coming to church ready to give to others, I don't want you to go away thinking that we aren't interested in you getting something out of the service. 
as I thought we've kind of made this push, you know, don't just don't just come to consume, come to serve. But that doesn't mean we don't want you to also consume. Okay? It it, it may mean that, you know, um, that you come thinking, how did how did how did the pastor, whether it's me or Joe or Richard, how did he how did he read that text and how did he understand it? How did he unpack that truth and apply it? Think of it like a cooking class. You come and you see what I do in the pulpit. Say, so, oh, I see. He put two eggs in at the front, and then he, you know, whatever it is, and then guess what? You go home and make your own souffle and serve it to somebody else. In other words, you come prepared to get your tank filled with the Word of God, so that you can in turn go and help fill somebody else's tank. It's not just a, it's not an either or serve or consume. It is both. You come both to consume and to serve. Otherwise, we have both a false dichotomy, but also a false understanding of people. Most of us are not Mr. Spock. We are not some cold, calculating, logical machine who sees a planet be destroyed in front of their eyes and just says, fascinating. That's not us. We're people, right? We're like, oh my goodness, what just happened? All those people die. We are real people with real emotions, right? We, We are human, okay? If you prick us, do we not bleed? Okay? What am I saying here? What I'm saying is this. Sometimes uh, it is taking every ounce of emotional and spiritual energy that we have just to get ourselves out of bed and come to this church and sit and hear God's word. Because life has so beat us up. And, and on those Sundays, I am not saying, well, you better be thinking about other people too. You know, there, there are some days you, you just need to sit and soak. And you need to be willing to let someone Ask how your week is and tell them honestly how it is. To be honest with your fears and your frustrations and your feelings that perhaps God has forgotten about me. And then be willing to let that person open up God's word and share it with you. To perhaps just pray with you that day. But frankly, those are likely going to be the exception, not the rule. Most of the time, we are coming to be filled up so that we can help fill others by speaking the truth in love. Again, just because it's so easy, it's a a common focal point for us. Practice listening to the sermon in such a way you you could summarize it in about half a minute or a minute. So on Monday morning when you're at work, someone says, what did you do this weekend? Hopefully it's a good sermon and you can honestly say, I heard a great sermon and it was about X, Y, and Z. 30 seconds, boom, you're there. You have immediately laid the groundwork for a spiritual conversation. Even if you said it was about the reality of hell and the fact that everyone who doesn't accept Christ is going there. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? What about this guy? I mean, even if they're on the offensive and you have to go on the defensive, you've immediately got an opening for a spiritual conversation with somebody, lost or believer. Furthermore, you should plan to minister to others by getting together and reading the Bible with them. This is one of the things we're talking about right now in in uh, Sunday school, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne say this, Imagine if all Christians, as a normal part of their discipleship, were caught up in a web of regular Bible reading. Not only digging into the word privately, but reading it with their children before bed, and with their spouse over breakfast, and with non-Christian co- a non-Christian colleague at work once a week over lunch, and with a new Christian for follow-up once a fortnight, that's two weeks if you don't speak Britishese, Uh, For mutual encouragement and with a mature Christian friend once a month for mutual encouragement. It would be a chaotic web of personal relationships, prayer, and Bible reading. More of a movement than a program, but at another level it would be profoundly simple and within the reach of all. It's an exciting thought. Well, guess what? Your pastors thought the same thing. That is an exciting thought. 
And that's what we long to see happen here over the coming months and years. Secondly, you need to expect your pastors to be trainers and you need to expect to be trained. You need to expect your pastors to be trainers and expect to be, to be trained. Paul says that the shepherd teachers, I think that's one office with two words, put a hyphen there, are to be equipping God's people for the work of ministry. Equipping is a good word, but it's an uncommon word. You don't hear it just out and about all the time. So you may hear a lot about training because it's a, it's a word that connects in our minds a lot more. You get a new job, you get trained for it. You... Uh, get trained for all kinds of things. And this may require a a big shift in how you think about church and about ministry. For sure, uh, Joe and Richard and I want to be on the front lines of ministry on a daily basis, speaking God's truth in such a way that lives are changed. On a daily basis, opening up our own lives, exposing it to the glory of God's word and his grace that we might be changed. Living in such a way then, having been changed, that we are encouraging Others, as an example of how a Christian should honor God with their lives. We want to be serving, protecting, and building up this church. But we also want to train you to do that alongside us. We want to train you in how to minister by speaking God's word to one another. Now, what will that look like? Well, it might look like formal classes like we have going on right now. Formal times of workshop type training. But it also might be something more informal. Again, I quote from Marshall and Payne. In fact, this is, the, this is the, the ending quote that I gave a year ago when we said, this is, this is the direction we're heading. I want to remind you of it and say, this is what we're hoping to accomplish. They say, imagine, imagine a, this is written to a pastor, okay? Imagine a reasonably solid Christian said to you after church one Sunday morning, look, I would love to get involved here and make a contribution, but I just feel like there's nothing for me to do. I'm not on the inside. I don't get asked to be on committees or lead Bible studies. What can I do? What would you immediately think or say? Would you start thinking of some event or program about to start that they could help with? Some job they needed doing? Some ministry that they could join or support? You could pause and reply to your friend. See that guy sitting over there? That's Julie's husband. He's on the fringe of things here. In fact, I'm not sure whether he's crossed the line yet to become a Christian. How about I introduce you to him and arrange for you to have breakfast with him once a fortnight and read the Bible together? Or see that couple over there? They're both fairly recently converted and really in need of encouragement and mentoring. Why don't you and your wife have them over, get to know them, read and pray together once a month? And if you still have time and want to contribute some more, start praying for the people in your street. Then invite them all to a barbecue at your place. That's the first step towards talking with them about the gospel or inviting them along to something at church. They go on to say, of course, there's every chance the person will then say, I don't know how to do those things. I'm not even sure I know what to say or where to start. To which you reply, that's okay. Let's start meeting together and I can train you. Now, you don't know that, but, you know, we, we spent all of last year training people in that very way. We w- walked through seeking to fill their head with bi- better biblical content so that their heart could be more transformed like Christ and their hands could be better equipped to serve in this way. So yeah, it might be you come and you say something like that, or maybe we just come up to you and say, hey, you know what? How would you like to work with so-and-so over there? We may say, go spend some time with this person, they'll train you. Or we might say, come and see how I do it. I might call you up and say, hey, you know what? So-and-so's in the hospital. Let's go make a visit together. Because some of you don't know how to do a Christian hospital visit. You know how to sit with somebody. You know how to talk about the weather and how things are going and try and be nice to them, make them feel like someone cares. 
But do you know how to open God's word and read it in an encouraging way? To say something that will be a benefit to them spiritually and not just say, we hope you get better? Maybe you could be trained for that. And how would that happen? Probably not by sitting in a class. Probably just by going with Richard or Joe and I and we'll say, come on, let's go. We're going to go to the hospital and you'll see how it's done. We want to follow the example of Paul. How he invested in so many people, not just with the gospel, but training them on how to invest the gospel in other people's lives. We, not just, we don't just want to set the example for you to follow, but we want to train you so that you can know how to follow that example. So be open to that kind of training. Expect it. Finally, expect to be active in ministry and expect others to minister to you. Expect to be active in ministry and expect others to minister to you. Most of us are used to thinking about church involvement in terms of jobs and roles. There are ushers, there are Bible study leaders, there are Sunday school teachers, there's treasurers, elders, musicians, song leaders, money counters, nursery workers, and on and on and on. But what happens if all those roles are filled? What happens if all the slots are taken? Does that mean you can't be involved in ministry? There's nothing for you to do? The reality is, basic Christian ministry is the prayerful speaking of God's word by one person to another. And the implication is, all of the slots are never filled. Because the only thing that prevents us from engaging in that kind of ministry is the limits of our imagination or our willingness to serve. There will always be opportunities for that kind of basic Christian ministry of the word. And the fruit of these things comes down to what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. It all comes down to this. We want, uh, we want us as believers in this church to be engaging in this kind of ministry of just opening the bible and prayerfully speaking it to one another to see some saved and to see others mature in christ so that they can in turn help to see others saved and to help others mature in christ we want to see disciples making disciples who know how to make disciples so when we gather together on sundays plan to be involved in word ministry when you arrive at community group, plan to be involved in word ministry. When you meet up with neighbors at the mailbox, plan to be involved in word ministry. When you tuck your kids into bed at night, plan to be involved in word ministry. When you're out on a date with your spouse, plan to be involved in word ministry with them. Husbands, you especially, you especially. Paul lays out very clearly, you have a mandate from Christ himself to be washing your wife with the word. Because Paul says that is what Christ does for his people, the church, his bride. He cleanses her, he sanctifies her with the word of God. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So men, as one who has repeatedly failed in this area, let me just say, it is our responsibility, not our wives, to say, honey, let's sit down and let's open the Bible and let's read. I don't encourage you to say, sit down, I'm going to wash you in the word. I, that, that's, I don't think that's going to work. But, may, but, but maybe throughout the day you read something. Maybe you're working on the fighter verse program and you've memorized a passage of scripture. And maybe you're out on a date. Or maybe it's just, you know, you sit at the dinner table. And maybe it's before you go into bed and you say, you know, honey, I've been thinking about this verse that I have memorized. And here's what it is. And you say it. And then you say, let's pray about that tonight before we go to bed. It could be something as simple as that. But when it comes to the marriage relationship, guys both, well, in every area, it is your responsibility to take the initiative, especially in this area. 
regardless of what you're doing during the week, whatever it is, plan to be involved in word ministry. And when you gather together with other Christians from this church, expect them to be involved in word ministry to you. Expect to hear from people about what they've been reading this week in the word. Perhaps the same thing that you read in preparation for Sunday school or community group, but they're going to share a way in which it impacted them. Assume that the man or the woman or the teenager who is never going to be a teacher, who's never going to be in a position of leadership, might just ask how you're doing. And they might just offer to share some scripture with you, and they might just offer to pray for you. The reality of our life as God's people is this. We are called not just to be consumers not just to be vessels to be filled by the ministry of others, but we are called to be those that invest in others as well. We are called to be servants and ministers of the living God. You may never stand on this platform. You may never have a title in front of your name, but all of us are called to the same basic ministry of opening our mouth that people might be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, and they might be transformed from sinful rebels into the image of God's Son. May we seek to do that together as God's people. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that it challenges us. We pray, God, that you would be with us and help us, no matter how incompetent we feel at this, not to make excuses, not to shrug off the responsibility that you have called us to. But God, encourage us to know that while we have this responsibility before you, we are not left by ourselves before you. God, you have put us into this wonderful thing called the church, a temple, a family, a building, a body. You give us so many ways to describe this marvelous thing to help us to know we are not alone in this world and in this mission. You are both with us by your spirit, but your spirit resides in your people. So when we gather together, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, moving in the same direction, called with the same calling. God, may we be encouraged by that. May we be encouraged by the grace that you have called us to in Christ, and may that encouraging reminder of the gospel motivate us and move us along in the path of maturing in him, even as we seek to minister to one another and to be ministered to by one another. God, may in the coming months and years, this be the pattern for how this church grows and becomes all that you want it to be. We ask this in Christ's name and for the sake of his glory in the city and around the world. Amen.